Hello, and welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hello, this is Buddy C. Welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. Got a little different podcast today. I'm just going to mention go to buddyc.org, look at... Uh, resources there there's a lot of things there to help you if you're new to the podcast uh today we're going to talk with Lori m she's uh, a regular attender uh she makes regular attendance in our saturday podcast and our saturday meeting that becomes a podcast really and uh i'd like to hear her story so i asked her to come share her story today thank you Lori, for being here Thanks, buddy. You know, this I, is fun. Fun to have it recorded. Yes. Uh, you know, just share with us what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. And uh, I'll I'll ask you questions as we go, if there's anything that uh, comes to mind. So the floor is yours. Thank you. <clears throat> so I uh, my sobriety date is 4-14-14. Uh, it's currently February 2024, so I'm coming up on 10 years. And there's not alcoholism in my family, per se. We're very Irish and Scottish, so maybe we have a tendency towards that. I don't know. But uh, there was no drinking in my household growing up. My father, uh, I was uh, an only child. Raised by my grandparents and my single mom uh, until I was about seven or eight. My mom got married again and then had a couple more kids, three more kids. I have three half-brothers. And my escape at that point in time was cigarettes. And I would steal my father's cigarettes and go outside and smoke um, from about the age of eight or nine. And so that at the point... So my, I have a long history of numbing. I have a very long history of numbing out my emotions and people pleasing. Uh, I turn into quite a workaholic and I appreciate that to so many degrees because it, it overshadowed my drinking. Um, in other words, the workaholism was more important at some point in time than the alcoholism. So when I was uh, in my 20s, you know, it's interesting to me after we talked the other day how <laughs> um, delusional we can be just in our remembering. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I didn't start drinking until I was 30 something. And I'm, I'm thinking about this honestly. And I'm like, OK, I, my first I mean, I drank in college and out of control a bit, but uh, never a daily drinker. Until I, I tried to quit smoking once and I was living on my own. I was managing a computer center in Denver. I grew up in a suburb of uh, Denver, Colorado. And uh, I can distinctly remember the moment when in order to get rid of the withdrawal from nicotine, I found just some leftover booze in the cabinet above my stove and had a little swig and noticed what a great feeling that was and how that took away all the anxiety from the cigarette withdrawals. And, um, that was the, uh, that was the moment. And I wasn't 30 buddy. 
<laughs> I was more like 23, uh, I think. Yeah. So that's interesting. <clears throat> um, anyway, so I was a pretty much a daily, I start smoking again. Uh, well, maybe not obviously, but I did start smoking cigarettes again. Uh, I managed to stay away from all sorts of other drugs and, and, uh, and whatnot. Uh, I was always really worried about being out of control and getting pregnant. Thanks to my father being very, uh, and a stepsister I had that got pregnant at 15. So I think that also played a role in me behaving better around alcohol initially and not diving into it as much as I was more afraid of uh, losing control and, uh, getting pregnant. Um, so anyway, I continued daily drinking and working and working and drinking um, for many years. I'm I'm quite sure I got married in my early 20s, like 25, and uh, we both drank. We eloped. He was a couple years younger than me, and I'm sure that ended because of my alcoholism, although I never knew that at the time, you know? It wasn't obvious to me. Anyway, I was clueless. <clears throat> I guess we say high-functioning alcoholic because my gig was, once I got divorced, was work, 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 drink to sleep, drink until I passed out, and get up at 5 in the morning and work again until 8 or 9 at night, drink to sleep, and then get up. And then weekends, occasionally, I was always drinking at home. Uh, I kind of credit that fact, uh, why I never got a DUI or gotten any serious legal trouble or, or other trouble because I nearly always drank at home. And I was very conscientious about avoiding the pregnancy and law. I avoided the law. <laughs> issues with the law and um, pregnancy kind of kept me a little bit tight when it comes to my behavior with alcohol. I traveled all over the country for my job. And uh, once again, wherever I landed, I had to have alcohol to sleep. Um, and I was very successful in my corporate career. I've, I've since retired I'm in my mid late fifties and uh, I'm very fortunate, very blessed. I, I wouldn't change a thing, honestly, about what happened. I used to wish, wow, if I'd had some more consequences when I heard stories in the rooms, I used to think, oh, if I had more consequences sooner, I would have stopped drinking sooner and blow, you know, whatever. Oh my gosh, silly girl. It's all good. It's all perfect the way it's worked out. So my company, my job took me to um, New York City, ultimately, and a huge project there with the Board of Ed. And uh, in 2009, I met my partner, Chris, at a bar on New Year's Eve, Demelman's Bar at the Carlisle Hotel in New York City. And uh, I was wasted when we met. Um, uh. He was a drinker also. So, yeah. So... Uh, Anyway, I wasn't looking for a romance. I was I was engaged in in work, and uh, well, we started dating. He lived upstate near um, Albany. I take the train up every weekend. 
I spent a lot of time catching up with alcohol uh, in Penn Station waiting for trains because I would take the train and Friday afternoon man, was the time to finally cut loose. And I knew every liquor store anywhere near Penn Station or on my way there. <laughs> so, uh, and so that continued. I ended up moving upstate after Chris and I have been dating about two years. I moved upstate. In 2009, we met in 2007. I moved up here in 2009. And I continued my corporate gig, but I worked from home. And that made it tougher. I'd always worked from home. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, I eventually uh, was able to resign from that company and find uh, start my own business. I helped seniors uh, downsize and move. And... I've always been very helpful in my career for women, especially for those years. And then I ended up um, having too much time on my hands, quite frankly. Some of my sponsees are uh, empty nesters who found that once they didn't have their children to show for around and fawn over and whatever, worry about, cook for, clean up after, uh, they have a lot of time on their hands. And that's kind of what happened to me when I, uh, was able to um, resign from my corporate job and start my own business. Uh, what a blessing, really. I just started drinking earlier in the day. And I was a blackout drinker, so I could not remember after a few what, what I did the night before. Right. So it was probably 2012, 2013, um, I started getting a lot of physical characteristics too, like uh, shakes in the morning, um, drinking earlier in the day. And I just knew there was, I needed to stop. I tried everything, everything. I am very smart and I'm very persistent. And I'm very resourceful. And I choose to, I chose to, I had been to one AA meeting and people love to hear this story. When I lived in Los Angeles for about 10 years, someone convinced me to go to an AA meeting. So this has been going on for a long time. Um, so this was probably in the nineties. Someone convinced me to go to an AA meeting and I ran away screaming almost literally. There was so much God in that meeting that I just was out of there in no time flat and never went back. And that is not for me. That was a cult or whatever. I was raised very strict Catholic and I had, uh, I called myself a recovering Catholic. Uh, but, and that's what turned me off, honestly. So fast forward again, that was just a little, little rewind because that's a critical thing that AA was not on the menu when I was looking for options. Um, now Chris, my partner had a couple DUIs locally. He grew up around here in New York upstate and he'd been to, um, St. Peter's addiction recovery center outpatient, and he'd had some court ordered stuff go on. So I had tried everything, tried everything. I could go for months without a drink. 
no problem. Not an, I won't say no problem. That's silly, but I could go for a while with white knuckling it without a drink. And then I would decide I needed a reward for that. And before I even knew it, like before I needed a reward. And then I was already at the liquor store buying a couple of shooters and my drink of choice was tequila. And, uh, I would buy a couple shooters and then within a week I'd be back up to whatever the leader size is. Right. Um, I hit them everywhere. They were everywhere around the house. I still smoked cigarettes. So I would go outside and smoke and drink, come inside and do whatever and go outside and smoke and drink. Mm. I found bottles for months, years after. <laughs> so one day I came home and Chris who's uh, about six foot seven feet tall, was standing in the garage door. Uh, garage was open, standing in the doorway. And uh, when I came home from working with clients and he had his hands on his hips and I knew I was in trouble <laughs> for something. <laughs> right. And he pointed to his Porsche. He had a Porsche Cayenne. He had a real nice other Porsche too, but I didn't, thank God, I didn't beat that up. I, there was dents in his Porsche, buddy. Mm. During, at some point when I was out smoking and drinking in the garage, I had decided to be angry at him probably for some reason. And I physically beat up his Porsche and I thought he was nuts. I'm like, I'm looking at my hands. I'm saying, I don't have any bruises or anything. Wouldn't I have a bruise? Cause I got enough bruises when I was drunk anyway. When I have a bruise on my fist or my hand, and um, no, I don't, it, it, you know, and I had no memory of it at all. So he said I had to do something, and he's the one who finally said, you need to go to Spark. Wasn't AA. Uh, my first appointment at Spark was uh, that St. Peter's Addiction Recovery Center was outpatient in Saratoga Springs. And my, uh, I can distinctly remember this. It was the fourth, it was the 14th of April that my first appointment at Spark was my last day, was my first day sober. Oh, so you stayed sober from the beginning. Yep. Hmm. Yep. No relapses and no AA meetings. Honestly, I didn't go to AA until a couple months later. My counselor at Spark told me he was like 30 plus years sober, Peter. He handed me a little trifold piece of paper with a printout of all the AA meetings in our area. And we're very blessed here. We have 80 plus meetings a week here in my area. So he handed me that and he knew me by now, by then. So he said, you know, just when you started your new business here, because I had never settled down in a, one place until I came here. He said, just like when you tried out every networking group, to find a good business networking group for your business. And just like you were discerning and you can tell what would work for you and if the people were sincere, or if they were on your wavelength, when you were looking for those business networking groups, he says, treat it just like that. Hmm. And he handed me this and he said, I can keep you, I can get you sober, but I cannot keep you sober. So he says, you just keep going down this list until you find a meeting that feels good for you. Wow. Wow. I'm going to get choked up. That's what did it. Yeah. Truly. Truly. 
And I went to a lot of meetings and a lot of them were not very nice. The people were just not very open or whatever. You know, it was, that was my experience. Um, I did, I figured out pretty quick. I didn't like going at night. Um, and I found a morning meeting that met every day, Monday through Friday, and then a weekend brunch punch meeting that met on weekends. And so I went to a meeting and I'm not exaggerating. I went to a meeting every single day for the first 18 months, mm. not 90 and 90, 18 months. <laughs> the meetings are really what helped me bridge that gap and provided some insight into uh, uh, solutions. Nobody ever provided me with a um yeah, the Ten Commandments just weren't working for me, you know, uh, <laughs> or whatever the Catholic Church and all their rules provided wasn't working. I needed real skills. Yes. <laughs> I wanted to ask, is was Spark different from AA? How did they approach recovery? Do they re- approach it differently in, in any way? You know, I have to remember it was pretty foggy, to be honest with you. It was in an outpatient program, and it was had to pee in a cup, so that probably helped. Uh, all voluntary. The um, the classes I went to for like three or four hours a day, for I don't know, I don't remember, maybe four days a week, uh, were just very factual, buddy. And I responded to that. Mm-hmm. I responded to the factual part. I had no idea the impact that alcohol had on my brain. I had no idea. I knew physically I was having issues. I had no clue how addictive it was or how much I depended on it or how it kind of overrode my common sense or whatever. So it was, it's a very practical, it's, even though it's St. Peter's, it's not a, it wasn't a religious program in any way. It was uh, just addiction recovery. Yep. Mm, Good. Yeah. And they didn't check up on me to see if I'd done or not other than peeing in the cup. You know, they never followed up and said, did you go to AA or whatever? I checked in with Peter a couple times after, but yeah. So that's how it was. How is it now? I am astounded and amazed at how fabulous my life. My life was not bad before, honestly. And now it's like beyond my wildest dreams that sounds so <laughs> stereotypical doesn't it, it uh, like, yeah right whatever you're lying um well, how, how soon did you get a sponsor how did that happen for you well that's a good question i'm a very headstrong rebellious and not very um person woman and I don't care for women for the most part my experience with women in my life and it's just my experience and I had only one female boss in my life it could be the way my father talked about women when I was a kid don't be like a woman whatever who knows bottom line is I had issues not I I, I had trouble getting and keeping a sponsor uh, for that reason I really didn't get through this I mean I did get through the steps theoretically. I did either I wasn't ready or I'm still good friends with my last sponsor, Carol, 
uh, but it took me a while. Thank you for asking. And I'm a, not an emotional type because, and at that point, the men that I respected in the rooms didn't have women as sponsees, or that would have been the best route for me, I think. Um, I don't think there should be that barrier, personally, but that's my opinion. So the first woman I asked only had a year of sobriety and um, uber emotional. And, you know, it is what it is. It just didn't work for me. So that's been a journey. And as you know, it's a recent realization of mine as to kind of why, why that was the way it was. I enjoy being a sponsor. Being a sponsor is absolutely one of the best gifts of the program. I would always speak up sponsorship. Being a sponsor forces you, just like being a teacher, you learn more than you ever dreamed of, whatever the subject is. The same thing applies for a sponsor. It keeps you fresh, keeps you green, keeps you in touch with your higher power because that sponsee will push every button in your book. Now, <laughs> I, I learned the same thing. That was my experience too, Laurie, that you know, it's one thing to work the steps yourself. It's another thing to be prepared to take someone else through the steps. So you worked the steps early in your sobriety. Is that what I hear? Or did it, how long did that process take? And did you get more relief during that process or how, how did that work for you? <laughs> I am a really slow learner in some regards. I think I'm a fast learner or I thought I was. And what I'm realizing as I get older is I'm not such a fast learner. I went through the whole all 12 steps with a wonderful woman who's since passed. Uh, and uh, so I got through them because you're supposed to. And I had to do everything I was supposed to do. And 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 now and fast. And then I went through the steps again with my um, next sponsor. And then that stuck for about six years. And then during COVID, I got a different sponsor and did a 12-step workshop during COVID. What a blessing that was. Mm. Um, a woman in Australia. Uh, and that's when I got it, finally. Mm. When I felt the relief you're talking about. Right. From doing the step four or five Wow, I really finally got it that you get to be, you get, we, we get to be happy, joyous, and free if we choose. But that is the, that is the goal to be happy, joyous, and free. And somehow that just never sunk in that they mean me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you mean me. And if I actually keep working this until it works, then that's what I get. Hmm. And uh, it's just taken me um, a while. It's just taken me a while. That's all. Okay. Now you're, when you first went to AA, you were chased out from God. God chased you out of the room, right? <laughs> yep. Rooms is what they say. And alcohol will run you back in. Uh, <laughs> folks. How has your we don't talk about perceptions of God never as a topic in a meeting that, that that's a bad topic. You sharing your perception because everyone's perception gets bigger and broader. And, you know, it's like catching fish, comparing fish you catch. 
what uh how did that progress for you from your one experience in california what you thought of the higher power god uh whatever name you want to put on that to now how how has that changed and evolved for you so i have very very slowly released my resentment against the word god and the word lov because they're interchangeable for a lot of people and i stopped crossing it out in the big book um and putting something else and i stopped crossing out he everywhere you Mm -hmm. know and putting she and it stopped irritating me like physically i would get a physical response if someone would be too holier than thou or bring up jesus christ their savior or something in a meeting i would go you know ballistic on the inside (laughs) it's been very gradual little by slowly and i can remember being really damn pissed off about the freaking onion like i am done with this onion peeling the onion forever and honestly um back to doing the steps i remember distinctly one through six well one through eight maybe and doing amends nine ten eleven and twelve so one through nine but ten eleven and twelve somehow i skipped those babies so it uh, you know, I just don't remember them. I don't know if I was too overwhelmed or wiped out or whatever. I know I went over them with my sponsors. Yeah. But they just didn't sink in as something I should do, something I have to do. And that was when that lady from uh, uh, from OA, honestly, not even AA, but she's a 12-step workshop leader in Australia over COVID, made me meditate, buddy. Yeah. She made me, she said, and we're going to make it attainable. You're going to do two minutes a day and you're going to be accountable to somebody. You decide who after 30 days, you can reassess and you can do another two minutes or you can up whatever you want. So I went from two minutes to two minutes. I did two minutes a day for probably three months before I was ready to move to 11 minutes once a day. That's it. And over time, so 2024 it is. So four years it's taken for my awareness of of um, my higher power, my inner truth, my inner voice to really land. My gosh, you're going to laugh. I got, I found a pamphlet from the Oxford group called how to talk to God or how to listen to God, not how to talk to God, how to listen to God. Right. And um, it was about meditation and writing. And it's, it's a wonderful pamphlet. You can find it online. It's an old Oxford group uh, pamphlet and it's prayer meditation basically, but it, it, um, it gives you permission to, I, I still had to rename it. I still had to say not how to listen to God, how to listen to the voice within. So I'm still, <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I still had to go and rewrite that whole pamphlet and swap out the word God for voice within. It's amazing and, things that <laughs> offend us, right? Uh, how, isn't it? I mean, who cares what a word? I mean, me personally, but I'm I'm the same. I have been the same way in the past. There's no way. And I strike uh, in the third step <laughs> prayer. We always, if I'm working with a sponsor, see the part that talks about uh, I would only ask for myself if uh if, if it was to be useful to others, that part, I said, mm-hmm. I want to mark that line out. 
I said, you don't ask nothing for you. I said, because you're not capable of uh, realizing what you really need. So your best just not to ask for anything. Just listen. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's just freeing to realize that you already have everything. You don't, I, I don't need anything. Uh, anything that I'm asking for, for me, this is just me. Now, this is my approach, but anything I'm asking for, it's coming from a place of fear, mm. a fear foundation, really, because I'm saying I don't have what I need when I'm given everything I need in this moment. Yeah. You know, yeah. Moment, you know, that is, and that's still evolving for you, right? Your perception of the higher power. Yes. Yes. In fact, I just rewrote portions of that pamphlet in my journal this morning and um, journaling has been a powerful tool for me. I would highly recommend to anyone. It has helped me to be objective. And actually I've been listening to God all along Mm. when I'm journaling and it's just not what I called it. But when I wrote that this morning, it's still, I don't feel worthy. When I rewrote sections this morning, the voice within uh, knows everything about you. It's always been there for you. It can answer every question you have. It can, it will never give you any assignment without supporting you. Um, And uh, that's a real, so when I get in touch with that, concept of there is a God within and it's so huge and it's so powerful and wow, I just feel puny. And I kind of recoil from that whole concept and I'm letting it sink in. Thank God I've given myself permission to pause and just pause and let it sink in. You know, the next step for me after that, Laurie was to realize this has just been recently realize that my thoughts nor what I have accomplished or what I failed at, uh, what I did horrible, what I did great, who I hurt, none of those things are the real me. Mm. And once I realized that, I was like, oh, all this stuff is like thoughts, all the fear. That's not the real me. I'm what's under that, you know? So when I realized that it was very freeing because I could no longer condemn myself because I I, I feel I'm a spirit being that I may have those things. I may have done some of those things, but that's not me. That was never me. Uh, and I'm not saying a cop out that we don't make amends and all those things. Don't, no, I don't want anyone to take it that way. But what I'm saying is uh, I'm that drop of love. That's that drop of God. That's under all of that. Uh, and that's when it started changing from my higher power to the higher power. Cause for a long time, the <laughs> power, you know, I hear that, especially in the South, you know, the horror part, you know, all of that. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I, why don't they change that? What is the higher part? And then I realized, oh, 
It's talking about the oneness of all of us. In there's just the, there's just the one. And so I said, oh, now I understand. That's big in the 24-hour book in the uh, meditation part. It, uh, that was written by some ladies. It was, it's different from the uh, thought and the prayer. Different people mm -hmm. wrote that. Uh, and they use the higher power a lot. And I'm like, why in the world don't they change that? That sounds so horrible. Now I realize why. Well, and you know what? Um I think one of the ladies I was learning about the traditions and uh, she was a service sponsor. I don't know if a lot of people have that uh, distinction between a sponsor and a step guide and a service sponsor. Um, she was the one who first taught me the set aside prayer buddy. And that was honestly my access to even being able to sit still long enough to meditate uh, for two minutes was to be able to say, and I've modified it over time, and I would encourage anyone who, if you look it up online, great, and then make it your own. Uh, you set aside whatever it is you got to set aside in the moment. I set aside everything I think I know, everything I believe to be true. No shit. Mm -hmm. My expectations, my judgments, my opinions. I set aside all of that for an open mind open heart and a new experience of the steps, life, my friend, my spouse, my mother, whatever. <laughs> you know, the great thing is you only have to do it in this moment. It's not talking about setting all that aside forever. There's no way I could do it on that level, but sometimes I can right now keep doing it now. And those nows build up to time just like we did with alcohol just i was just gonna say that yep and that's what i had to do with cigarettes too i quit smoking finally 18 months after i uh, stopped drinking so and that was harder in a lot of ways it had been with me a lot longer <clears throat> that was really challenging you know i have some powerful powerful um examples of my oneness taking care of me or the oneness taking care of me. The fact I didn't kill myself, the fact that I didn't kill someone else. Um, the fact that the obsession was lifted for me and that's different for different people, but my partner was still drinking for 18 months after I got sober. Wow. So, um, and he was considerate about it mo for the most part, but, it was still, if I had been, if the sight of a bottle had sent me back, I would have been in trouble. So the the fact that the obsession was lifted for me was necessary for me at that time. And I think one of the huge shifts that the daily meditation and prayer has provided is the ability to um, look at life from a different view. I, I And I get some beautiful moments while I'm meditating. And one of them was, you remember the, when trucks had bench seats? Yes. Once upon a time. And uh, the image I kept getting in my mind was slide over. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm in the driver's seat, girl. Just slide over. Let someone else do the driving for a while. And that's a hard thing to do for a control freak, people-pleasing person. <laughs> rebellious and all that leads me to my next question 
how do you approach surrender and powerlessness? Because everyone looks at that a little different way. <laughs> oh, oh, you have a tattoo, a surrender tattoo. Yeah, and listen to your heart. Ah, okay. So it was uh, very difficult for you. You had to tattoo it to remember it. Is that what you're saying? I did. I was so foggy for the first long time. I was foggy for quite a while. And uh, that reminded me. And I chose to get it tattooed. I don't have any other tattoos. I, I um, Well, I have a couple on my wrist. And they're for me, right? Because I can remember that right after I got it, someone asked me about it. Like, what does that mean? Because the general consensus in the business world is surrender is a bad thing. Uh, you know, it means you've given up. But for me, it's the opposite. It's kind of like that sliding over. That's it. That's surrender. And once again, that's a moment by moment conversation to have in my head. And I can't even do that if I don't pause. So the pause comes first and then the surrender. Oh, and then trying to be honest about it. And I, it's uh, a work in progress. Thank God. Progress, not perfection, right? Yes. So turning not the destination. So I am, I love, I've always been drawn to paradox. So I would say surrender is a massive paradox. And I like that title of your book too. Um, Powerless, but not helpless, because we tend to assume those two go together. And that's the complete opposite. The more I surrender and acknowledge that power within, the stronger I am. You know, I, uh, when I finished writing that, I didn't have a title and I just reminded the higher power. I said, you know, I'm powerless over what what to title this book. <laughs> wait until I'm sent something. And that very week, I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, The Boiled Owl, that has Don M. Uh, and... I'm just going to take this part. I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to offend him. Uh, hold on just a second. I'm fine. And that week I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, The Boiled Owl. By the way, that has uh, Don M's, a friend of mine. He's one of the co-hosts. And he now does the Grapevine podcast, which is oh. an actual AA podcast. And just for clarification, Don M also did the art for me in the book. He had a guest on, and the guest said in her story, she said, you know, I'm powerless, but I'm not helpless. I'm like, oh, there it is. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yes. I was just open, and it came along just like we learned life really is supposed to be, you know, more about us just being open-minded and receptive rather than the controlling and the manipulative and, and the thinking we've got to make it happen, push, push, push on that topic. What attracted you to the Tao? Because, you know, not everyone in recovery is attracted to studying the Tao Te Ching, but it really spoke to me, obviously. And why does that, why do you think that speaks to you? Um, <clears throat> I 
as I mentioned, I started out uh, life as a Catholic, and there's a huge um, wealth of, you know, Thomas Aquinas. I went to Thomas Aquinas College. I did a liberal arts uh, program for the first two years of my college career. And so I'm, I said Aristotle and Socrates, those are the, you know, all this core stuff that a liberal arts program provides. And I am so grateful. Once again, you can say what you want about Catholicism, but Catholic education is extraordinary. At least that's my experience. Mm -hmm. So I've always been curious when I was, uh, Later on, I went to Colorado State, and uh, I spent a summer on the East Coast, and I came into the Benjamin Franklin Museum. And you know those random things? Push a button and a quote pops up. And Ben Franklin said something about his own beliefs, and see, now I wish I could quote that, because it's a short little thing. I believe that there's um, some good power. He never was a part of any particular religion. And that just is so freeing in a lot of ways. It provides you, you don't have to judge. I know when I first started in Catholicism, they were, they're all sinners and we are all saved. You know, that, that whole idea that um, I've got the corner of the market on this religion. So anyway, I just started studying all sorts of things and being open to it. And I spent a lot of time and energy on Native American traditions. And that's still a very deep, um, wealthy, beautiful practices that I've gotten through that uh, venue. And I think it was someone in the, in those groups uh, that was also um, studying the Tao. So I came across it somehow because I didn't know about the other books you've talked about, you know, but I bought a beautiful book and I've always been a book person all my travels always included a box of books so that um the Tao and you know it strikes me I've always been uh poetry has saved my life also poetry and journaling from when I was young so it reminds me of poetry in a lot of ways the way that it's done it's very succinct and that just speaks to me on some level it's so funny you should ask me that because I was just thinking this morning I wonder and I was journaling this new Oxford group way of journaling is like a dialogue between you and you listen to God and you ask a question, you listen. Mm -hmm. And, uh, prayer, I think, isn't that called two way prayer? I believe that. Yes. Yes. I think it's the same guy that wrote both books. Yes. There's books. Yes. Yes. Two way prayer. I think it's where I found out about the Oxford group pamphlet. There's actually a podcast that talks a lot about, two-way prayer and that's pretty much he talks about that and everything and his name is actually bill w is it yes. i'd have to grab the book downstairs but yeah it it's uh it's a history of aa book right and it's he talks a lot about the history now, oh i found the benjamin franklin quote oh our creed my creed go ahead I believe in one God, creator of the universe, that he governs it by his providence, that he ought to be worshipped, that the most acceptable service we render to him is doing good to the to his other children. Is that the quote? 
Yes, and he goes on. There's no judgment or something. Uh, um, I think that's the only part that popped up for me. Yeah, I no, that's it. That's it. And I found that accidentally in this library in Villanova University where I was working for a summer once upon a time. So it's interesting. So what God told me this morning, that sounds so weird to say that. Uh, what I what I wrote this morning was I he it he she whatever has been with me all along through poetry and journaling and that's how I got hooked on meditation again too one in fact I'm going to Ireland this summer and the meditation leader Hugh Byrne is one of the insight timer um, teachers oh. and he has a lot of poetry in his meditations. So I kind of relate the Tao as poetry and I'm all for ancient wisdom, man. If we don't have to learn it from scratch, why, why not? You know, and the Tao is all about surrender. Yes. I want to read what the Tao, the Tao in the big book, go to pages, bottom of 84, 85, 86. We, we find a place of neutrality. We stop fighting anything and anyone. You know, we can allow life to come to us rather that we rather than you know that whole push that we've got to make it happen let go and let god is a very taoist sounding quote really i like let go or get dragged because <laughs> it's gonna happen right you're gonna suffer go. or how much yes. suffering do you want <laughs> i've got to let go and most of us need a god to believe in to let go especially at first you know so uh, I just learned that everyone has their own God language, so to speak. Some use the word, some don't. Some believe particular things, some don't. It doesn't matter. It's none of my business. And they're all just speaking their own language. You know, that was a powerful lesson for me. And I'm so grateful that one of my ladies from uh, AA, those first meetings I went to, was also in Al-Anon because... Um, I realized early on when Chris was still drinking that I had no control, absolutely no control over that. And then again, when um, I was working with Joe from Australia, I was all pissed off about how someone else was behaving. And she's, you know, it's just so, it seems so stupid and so simple. You have no control over what he thinks. You have no control over what he does. Really? <laughs> oh my gosh. That seems so silly now looking back, but wow, that's so freeing. We spent all our time trying to control, didn't we? Or I did. That's oh, what yeah. Really was try to control everything, thinking the control was where my peace and joy was, that I had to make it happen. Yes. Well, and you know what? Our society will back you up on that because I was very successful for many decades with that kind of thing in mind yes uh, yeah but yeah, I was our still culture lacking. supports it i'm still lacking or i wouldn't have been drinking yeah huh so my focus now is just to keep paying attention really keep meditating more i'm, I'm signed up for a meditation teacher training and I, i'm a sponsor go to regular meetings and uh yeah, that whole thing, keep your side of the street clean. I would love to teach meditation to AA people, buddy, because I I can tell. Here, I just say that, keep your own side of the street clean, and then I'm going to go judge all these people. You can kind of just tell that they're not happy, joyous, and free. I'll just leave it at that. 
and maybe access would be available through meditation. For me, I I started meditating at eight years. Mm. And I'm at 15 now, 16, <laughs> 08. So yeah, I'll have 16 in uh, in November. And when I was ready to meditate, start meditating, I thought about it and said, huh, maybe I need to look into meditation. And then that week, my I had a sponsor I met with like a day or two later. He said, you know, I think I want to start. We hadn't even talked about it. I think I want to start meditating. I found a great podcast. I said, oh, really? So I started listening to a podcast about meditation. And then I started meditating 20 minutes a day in the morning when I got up. And that was my practice for a long time. Starting out at that, I guess because I was ready. I don't know. That's it, man. Yeah. You know, so I kind of take the approach that it's it's not the teacher that draws the student. It's the student that draws the teacher. So when the student's ready, the teacher appears. Yes. We're ready. And then what we need appears for us. That's that's the essence of the whole program, really. If we step out of the way, we can allow that to happen in everything. Not only our alcoholism and our spirituality, everything can be taken from an approach of powerlessness. Yeah, absolutely. And as much as you force it or you want to force it, it's not going to work out. Yeah. <laughs> if my head's going crazy, and then I can... Instead of sitting there thinking about me, I can go help someone else and get the focus off of me. And that really helps to, for me to lessen that selfishness. Because the more I have the focus on me, oh, the worse it is. Well, so here's something funny. And this, I love the paradox of this. I was such a fixer and such a people pleaser that, you know, I did a lot of great service work for the group and for my district um, here, it's a registrar and the librarian and uh, literature. And I finally, it dawned on me, it was causing me so much turmoil because people were not doing what I wanted them to do and they weren't behaving the way they should be behaving. And didn't they know about the traditions and what's the matter with all these people that I had to step away and it took me about a year and a half, maybe almost two years of, of really not doing service aside from being a sponsor. And I wasn't even a sponsor for a part of that. I needed that to see my motivation was fucked up. I really needed to see that. But you weren't ready for it until you were ready. No, that's right. I had to beat my head against the wall for quite a while and become very agitated and uncomfortable before I have the sense to just say, okay, because of course too, when you volunteer and I'd retired buddy. And as soon as you retire, boy, everybody want, would love for you to volunteer. And if you actually are very efficient and productive and especially technical, you are, um, they will take every minute you'll give them and then some. Mm -hmm. So I had really gotten sucked into a lot of different volunteering positions, not just AA, but other organizations and, I needed that time for myself. So I appreciate what you're saying about 
taking time out to help others. For me, I was, and I really got a lot out of Melody Beattie's books. Um, and uh, that was just my path. I needed that break from that. And now I'm much more selective and I'm much more conscious about my motivation in the moment to no rescuing, no fixing. Uh, it's genuine. It feels much more authentic now, but I needed that break. See, that's the difference between real service and that service coming from self. Yeah. That's the difference. And I had a sponsor. He asked it, okay, how do I know I'm really doing service? I said, well, are you aggravated? If other <laughs> Are you attached to the outcome? <laughs> yeah. He bought a guy a big book and then got aggravated because the guy, he never saw, saw the guy again. Right. Yeah. I was like, see, that was out of the wrong motivation. You know it because of your response. You you attached expectations to it. That's it. My first couple of sponsees were, were tricky. And I ended up doing things for them that I should never have done, but I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And I didn't set any boundaries. So also taking care of yourself is part of that. You know, respecting your own time and and sticking up for yourself. Oh my gosh, I could do that in a business world in a heartbeat. Not a problem. On a personal level, all these things I had to learn. Yeah, relationship, personal relationships. If it was a business relationship, buddy, I had no problem telling you where to go. Yeah. You know? I've, and you listen generally. <laughs> I've got a bit thicker skin. I've got one sponsee. I, uh, recently, I said, I want you to check in with me every day. He was having some issues. He stopped checking in. So when it's time to meet... Where are you at? I said, well, you haven't been checking in, so I didn't think you had time to meet this week. Why don't you check in every day this week, and I'll be here for you next week. That kind of thing. <laughs> uh, sometimes you've just got to do it. If they're crossing the line, we crossing, not setting their boundaries. Like, and, and if they want another sponsor, they're welcome to it. You know, there's no, there's no animosity there. But you ask my experience and me to help when he's had you know someone having an issue i'm like let's talk every day let's take care of this uh, i think that's what we need to do that's what i'm going to suggest and if they're just not listening to us or not gleaning from our experience really that's all we can do share our experience then i, I think a lot of times we're better to cut the cut the cord well, that was another great outcome of that 12-step workshop I went to. And uh, Herb K, you can find it online. Herb K is the one who created the actual workshop that Joe in Australia was teaching. But he has a monthly sponsor um, Zoom meeting that you can attend and ask questions. And he's very clear and concise. And Joe helped me to... And I'm I'm a documenter. That's just what I've always done in my life. I write quick reference guides for whatever you got to do. <laughs> I can I can zero in on those six steps. So I wrote um, a sponsorship guide. Like here's the questions you need to answer, ask a, a a potential sponsee. Here's the things you need to be prepared to provide, and here's some boundaries. 
And one of them is if they consistently miss a meeting, you know, it, it's that sort of thing. And Herb would never say, you never fire a sponsee, they fire themselves. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, and uh, so, you know, we don't just know these things, obviously. We need to have some guidance. And personally, I didn't get all that much guidance on that initially, right? Or I wasn't ready. Yeah. <laughs> no blame. We approach, we have, just like everything else, we, we have to approach differently in recovery than what we approached prior to recovery. I cannot get anyone sober. I can't. Oh, you can't keep them sober. Can't keep them sober. Uh, I can't, I can't make them drink. All I can do is share my experience and then let it go. And if they glean from my experience, great. If they don't, that's not on me. That's right. I don't have any responsibility for their sobriety. If I'm doing, you know, if I'm sharing my experience as, as I feel appropriate. And that's a whole nother attitude. I totally agree. And one of the most um, beneficial things I learned to say to myself, like a little mantra is I trust your higher power mm. and you can trust mine. You don't need to take care of me and I'm not going to take care of you where I trust your higher power to do that. That's huge. That's powerless, right? That's pretty surrendering. Oh, very much so. <laughs> very much. Yeah. So. I hadn't really thought about it like that, but absolutely. And that, um, it gets me off the hook, but then I don't need to be attached. It allows me to, it's, it's that paradox again. I'm responsible and I'm not responsible. <laughs> I'm responsible to be a good example. Yes. And that's it. That's exactly it. And that's, that's the only way I've survived. I've had sponsors that have gone back out. I've, had sponsees that haven't. I, I don't keep a scorecard. I, I really couldn't tell you exactly how many sponsees I have. I could if I sat and thought about it. But we all have different ways we work with sponsees. Most of mine we meet once a week and are reading some book, just depending, reading that together. With one I'm reading right now, Not God, Ernest Kurtz. Uh, another one I'm reading, Joko Beck, Everyday Zen. So there's different. Another one I'm reading, The Wentza With. So there's a lot of, you know, there's so many. I, I just asked them what speaks to them spiritually. And once a week for about an hour, we we get together and read it and talk. And that that seems to work for for most guys. And these are guys that's been sober several years, most of them. They're, they're not new. I'm not. I'm not a newcomer. Yeah, that's a tough road, man. Yeah. Um, more power to those sponsors who can handle that. I, I I definitely prescribe, suggest a 30-day, everyday, 10-minute phone call. That has worked for me to ensure that they're serious and they're going to show up. And then that's it, just a check-in. And then after the 30 days, I start on the steps. But something that was really cool that Herb did that I appreciated, and I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but we started with 10, 11, and 12. Most of the people who took that 12-step workshop had already been sober for some time. And that review of 10, 11, and 12 review was the first time 
I'd been through it like that. And that's when I started that two-minute daily meditation. And then it gives it gave me tools to get through one through nine in a much more authentic way, um, much more supported way. Mm-hmm. And I had to be willing to ask for help, and that was a long time ago, but that's a constant reminder. I'm getting better at that. But um, yeah, I really... Yeah, so I have a certain program I follow. I do start with 10, 11, and 12. I do 30 days, and then I do 10, 11, and 12. It's once a week. And then I go through the steps, 1 through 12. And I really enjoy Joe and Charlie's books, the steps we took and the the guidance we gave or something like that. There's one for sponsors, and there's one for sponsees. You can get it on Amazon. Thank you, Lori. Anything else to add? I've enjoyed hearing your story today. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you asking me. I think it's um, very sweet. And uh, what a great safe space to share, buddy. I thank you for that. And uh, all the great influence that you've had and that you continue to have with your daily emails. I love them. And if I don't tell you more, I'm sorry. I'll tell you more often. But they're very helpful to me. And I share them with everyone I know in AA. So I don't know how many more people, but. It's um, it's nice to have everything in one spot. That way you can scan it and you can see what jumps at you and you can get a good, um, solid, healthy, you know, start on the day or perspective shift for me this morning. So this is it. And I'll sign off the, the thing that I've noticed the most that I'm the most grateful for of all of this and all these years is a shift in my own perspective on everything out there. And that I am responsible for that perspective and, and to keep reminding myself it's, it's little by slowly. I don't have to be in a hurry about it. If I just sit back, relax, like the big book says, and uh, stop fighting everything. um, That perspective is just such a gift that everything, no matter what it is, no matter what happens is a gift. If you look at it that way. Yes. Yes. I do. That's. If awesome. someone is new and they don't know about the devotions, you can go to buddyc.org and sign up for that. They're free and I don't share any any emails with anyone. They don't go to any marketing or anything. They're they stay for what they're what they're for. Confidential. Yes. Anonymous. I don't do that. I had a chance actually with transitions daily. If you don't know what transit transitions daily is, it's a daily email with all the the daily readers that we use in AA us transitions daily.org. When we were, I was working with that. I got marketing offers to market because we had at the time 15,000 that received this. Now Tell the story to- about that. Do you mind? I want to hear that little, do you mind telling oh. that story about how you started doing that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can share that. There was a guy in my home group. He was one of those staunchy old AA. He was ex-military, went by the rules. Uh, and the grumpy old timer is the yes, way I think. Nobody liked him. Nobody liked him. And so I just joined in with the not like because that's what everybody did. And he got sick in a neighboring town about 30 or so miles away. And I felt like I should go visit him in the hospital. He had heart problems. He, he was in his mid-70s. And I went and visited him. And from that, I was on the list, but I didn't realize he was the one that started it. And for 
at least 10 years, he had been pushing a button every night to send it every night for 10 years. I couldn't believe it. Uh, and he asked me if I would help him with that and, and kind of take that on when he's, when he's gone. And so I did and started making some changes and just got it a lot. Uh, and then was able to bring in some other people uh, to help take over a lot of the responsibilities. But uh, one of the great, and that's evolved into me getting to all the podcast, everything that <laughs> came from that one visit, visiting a guy I didn't even like <laughs> in the hospital. So we'd never know when we do that kind of thing, what it's going to lead to. We never know. We never know. Uh, so it's brilliant yes it's brilliant we could never figure that if we could figure this out for ourselves there's no way Absolutely. there's no way mm. thank you yes thank you're you so welcome Lori. um look forward to seeing you in a meeting soon and thank you so much for sharing your story Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.